Welcome. This is Aubrey, your host of Adapting Resiliently. I am a health coach, a life coach, an intuitive, a plant-based chef, an herbalist, a professor, and an educator on mind-body connections and also the research that supports making lifestyle changes as pertinent to lifestyle medicine. So in this podcast, we explore what the research says on how do we actually support our bodies and our minds and our spirits to adapting with a sense of resiliency so that our immune systems do not get hit hard or our spirits don't get dampered as we surf the waves of a changing face of humanity. Um, and boy, is it changing and evolving and shifting and bubbling and unfolding all of the time. I mean, if there's anything that we are learning, it is the power of how to be adaptable. And that sometimes that adaptation means moment by moment. So I have been in the midst of just head down to the books, writing, 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 writing. I am nearing the um, end mark of my PhD process in mind-body medicine and I am currently in the midst of writing a book. Um, and so the book is requiring a lot of time and dedication to research and sifting through research and then also to synthesize. What the heck does this research say? Especially um, as I'm also a citizen, an empathic citizen where I am aware that some days I can do more than other days. So here we are recording another episode. Um, I want to offer up that if the information in the last episodes around the gut microbiome and stress and inflammation resonated with you, please know that you're always welcome to reach out to me. Um, my email is adaptingresiliently at gmail.com. It's also listed within the show notes and all of the research that is spoken about is always in the show notes. Um, and my website is adaptingresiliently.com. And so you are able to reach out to me there as well. And I would love if there's topics of interest that come up based upon the research that we are diving into with one another. I think that helps uh, foster the questions that I have. And then it also allows me to go on wild goose hunts for more research, which I absolutely love. Can't sing, but I love it. Love it. So tonight we are going to be talking about some research that was conducted this year. That's how on it, on the research train I am. This year it was conducted and I will have the link to the research in um, the show notes. And it's really looking at uh, the sense of well-being. And so there's this conversation and this question that I've been toying around with lately of how, does our perception of stress dictate how we physiologically respond to stress? So I got asked a couple of weeks ago, hey, how stressed were you prior to COVID and the pandemic happening? And I'm, I always, always rate these types of questions very minimally, very conservatively, where I'm like, I wasn't that stressed. Because I think that things could always be worse, whether that's like my Midwestern background where I really do believe that things could always get worse, 
or whether that's just like a sense of grit and resiliency that I personally have. I'm not sure. However, that conversation keeps coming up of like, okay, well, after um, the pandemic started, what was your perception of stress? And again, I was very conservative and I was like, well, yeah, it was stressful because I've been navigating homeschooling my son while working and researching and writing and being a student, like that, that's kind of stressful, but it still, it could be a lot worse. So I have been toying with this concept of, does our perception change our stress responses? And if it does, does it change the inflammatory markers that we're releasing and the stress and the stress that we're experiencing? So there has been some research that's been done looking at you know, your perception of stress. And obviously it's a perf our perception of stress is so individualistic, right? We all classify different events in varying degrees. What I experience in one situation of stubbing my toe in the door, somebody else could have the same experience and be like, oh, that didn't hurt at all. Right. And the pain response is different than let's say the emotional response of a best friend being really cold to you or the loss of a job. Right. Um, or the social um, injustices that we are currently witnessing. All of these things, our perception of them is highly individualistic. And so it's very difficult from a research perspective to understand, do our individualized responses and perceptions to stress really change our physical reaction um, and the physical reaction being related to like inflammation. And if so, what could we do about that? So within mind-body medicine and within the mind-body modalities, we really look at how is the mind related to the body and what are the ways in which that we can move from a state of dis-ease or illness to a state of optimal functioning and well-being which is vastly different than typical allopathic medicine and the premise of treat symptomology rather than looking at root causes. So the research that we're going to be talking about tonight is really looking at this changing in well-being and does changing our perception of our own personal well-being in turn impact how much inflammation we have. Now just to go back, when we're in a state of inflammation, and that could be mental inflammation where we get on the wheel, right? The, the wheel of, oh my gosh, things are horrible. Oh my gosh, I don't know how I'm going to do it. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Where we're ruminating, right? That mental programming where we just can't figure it out or where we're just consumed by how bad things are, how challenging they are where we get locked into just not knowing what the next step is going to be or how we're going to get there or how we're going to solve the quote unquote problem. So that inflammation can be, remember, mental. We can have the emotional inflammation of just being super reactive, like somebody saying your name and you biting their head off, right? Coming in the house and instead of being like, hey, hun, how was your day? Be like, I can't stand you. Leave me alone, right? Like that emotional snappiness, the reactivity, like that's all a type of um, inflammatory reaction, which is definitely a stressed reaction. 
However, when we act from those places, when we have these mental reactions and these emotional reactions, they do trigger us physiologically. So our physical body responds. And then like we talked about in the last episode, when our physical body responds, it changes the gut bacteria in our gut microbiome. And not only does it change the gut bacteria, it influences our immune system function. So all of a sudden the mental programming and the mental rigidity that we can get into or the emotional reactivity that we have or the nutritional depletion that we may be engaging in by eating really poor nutrient nutrient lacking foods now is not just a matter of oh that happened once or that happened repetitively now it can start being um an inhibition to our immune system function. And then when it's an inhibition to our immune system function, we step out of our ability to truly be in optimal wellness. And when we're, in, when we're out of alignment with optimal wellness, we're not in a place of homeostasis with mind, body, and spirit. So we're not able to really show up in life from our state of integrity and balance and living that heart-centered awareness of compassion and empathy, right? Because we're offline. We've come offline in one or all of the ways. So the research that we're looking at is asking these questions about, well, what happens if we change our perception of well-being? Does it actually in, in turn change inflammation markers? If I start to mentally respond from a state of wellness, if I emotionally respond from a state of well-being and compassion and empathy and attempted understanding, if I nutritionally respond by feeding myself nutri nutrient-dense foods, if I physically respond by moving my body rather than sitting all day or rather than clenching my body because I'm so worked up and angry mentally and emotionally, does that actually make a difference on our inflammatory markers? And if so, what are the, what's the significance upon illnesses and diseases? So the research looks at it from how do we change and what happens if we change our sense of well-being upon inflammation? And in turn, does that shift in our awareness of well-being impact depressive symptoms? Depressive, depressive symptomology or depression, right? And so the premise of this research is really powerful. You know, it's really looking at that well-being is where you really feel like your neuro in your immune response, the neuroimmunology, so your brain and your body's ability to immunologically respond to stressors, to colds, to flus, to bacterias, to viruses, or to charged situations, to um, dangerous situations, to traumatic events, to potential emotional, mental, spiritual triggers. That connection piece there is deeply ingrained into your sense, sense of well-being, right? And so there's been so much research that's looked at it that shows that there is a relationship there on your sense of well-being and inflammation that if you are coming out of alignment if you've left the saddle and the saddle in this 
sense is a, a state of optimal well-being where you're deeply grounded in your integrity, you're deeply grounded in empathy and compassion, you're able to take time and prioritize space and self-care for you. That way you can nutritionally, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually show up and be in a state of balance and homeostasis for yourself. That when you are out of that saddle, that inflammation can rise. And when inflammation rises, we see when inflammation rises, we see physiological responses. The CRP, the C-reactive protein, rises, right? There's inflammation that is categorized with interleukin-6. These are all inflammatory markers that show how much inflammation is going on in our body, but they also show how much stress is happening in our system. And when we're in a state of stress, then our immune system's no longer able to function properly. And we have stepped out of that optimal well-being. Lost my computer there. Um, so this research is really looking at that there's a positive, a positive effect when we can move into a state of well-being that epigenetically, remember we went over this within um, the last episode where epigenetically, these are the stories, these are the DNA sequences, these are the things that are passed down ancestrally. When we can address those stored memories, those stored mentalities, those stored reactions, those stored disease and illness processes, that when we address those, um, and move into a state of life satisfaction and happiness that we can in turn start reducing some inflammatory remark markers going down. So the research is looking at two different types of well-being. Hedonic well-being, which is really focusing on your experienced aspects of well-being, like the pleasure. How do you experience pleasure? I talk about this with my students all the time. How many times have you guys been eating food and you have no clue, you get halfway through the meal and you have no clue what any of it tasted like, right? You're just popping chips in your mouth, popping grapes in your mouth, popping chocolate in your mouth. And then you've eaten half the bag and you're like, oh my gosh, what was the sensation of that? Did it crunch? Was it juicy? I don't know, right? Or when we're driving, when we go on autopilot, this is what we're really talking about. So hedonic well-being is really looking at um, how do we experience pleasure? And that's about a state of allowance. How willing are we to allow ourselves to experience pleasure? Whether that be the pleasure of I'm moving my body and I'm aware of each footprint that I'm placing on the ground, or I'm aware of the scent of the flowers as I pass in different areas of my neighborhood, or the pleasure of oh my gosh, I can hear my child laughing, or there's kids down the street that are laughing, huh, that experience brings me joy, or the sun setting, right, or nutritionally, when we're eating a meal, what are the colors, the smells, the taste, the textures, how are we in allowance with experiencing pleasure, do we focus on it, so the, a great application of this, and the research is actually really astounding when we talk about um, reducing inflammation and increasing a sense of well-being and making lifestyle changes that actually bear a difference on our perception of well-being and our perception of health and healing is a gratitude journal, right? So three to five options that you write down daily of things that you're grateful for. And they can be small things, right? 
They can be grateful for, I can be grateful for the fact that I have lights that switched on and I have a fan that's circulating fresh mountain air in my room today. I can be grateful for the fact that I can hear the crickets chirping, or I can be grateful for the fact that I'm drinking fresh water that's clean, right? So writing down that list of three to five things, because slowly it starts to train your brain to look at the places of pleasure. So the, the looking at the places of pleasure is extremely important because this is going to change your perception of well-being, right? The research goes on to look at um, a well-being that is focused on your meeting and, and self-realization and focusing and flourishing. So this concept of self-determination, self-actualization, um, self-realization, where we are able to see how we respond to situations, the ways in which we would like to grow, the ways in which maybe we have been limiting our growing, um, are limiting our highest self, our best self, our most sacred and sovereign self, right? When we start to see the meaning of our patterns, when we are able to sit with ourselves and see that state of reflection, then we can shift our perception of our own personal well-being. And this bears significance on us mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. So we talked last week um, in the last podcast about the practice of meditation. And that does not mean you have to be seated, sitting in a lotus pose oming until your eyes go cross. It can mean that you're walking very intentionally in your backyard for 10 minutes. It can mean that you are just slightly gazing at a flame. It can mean that you're listening to guided meditation. Whatever way that you can access the state of flow where your mind clears and you're able to give yourself the time, the space, the presence in order to reflect and to actualize, to be, to self-determine where you're able to see your role in your life and how you would like to live optimally, that that shifts your sense of well-being as well. Now that may be like really simplified, right? Where you go, oh yeah, of course, all I need is more time meditating and I'm aware of myself and then I can be more, feel more physically well or more mentally well, or more emotionally well. Yeah, that's true, and it can be oversimplified. And yet, how many times do we prioritize that, right? How many, especially during the time of the pandemic and learning to work remotely and juggling parenthood and society shifting and finances. Like, it's very easy to get caught up in the rigmarole of I need to move, I need to do, I will get that time for myself later and later and later, rather than making that center stage of our existence, of our um, well, well-being. So a lot of ways to shift that, a lot of times when we talk about um, goal setting and um, time management. So with smart goals, you start with very specific and measurable um, goals, right? And so with time management, a lot of times you will work on the biggest things first, that way they're out of your way. And then you can work on everything else that comes a little bit, maybe easier. It doesn't require as much time. The same type of 
practice we need to put in place when we talk about prioritizing our self-care. And I know that term self-care has gotten a lot of rap in the last couple of years where it's like, oh yeah, I'm self-caring. I lit my lavender candle. That's not what I'm talking about. Self-care can be, I'm drinking water. That's amazing. Self-care can be, I took three deep breaths today. Self-care can be, I stared out my window for 30 seconds and watched a butterfly move by. It can be, hey, I stood up and, and walked for five minutes instead of sitting at my desk for eight hours. It can be that you are just shifting your focus back onto, hey, body, hey, spirit, hey, mind, what do you need most at this moment? And then I'm going to do something about it, right? I'm going to show up for myself and that in turn creates the rhythm, the protocol, the patterning of prioritizing ourselves first within those SMART goals and that time management. But that also shifts our awareness to a perception of well-being because we are prioritizing ourselves saying that if I don't show up optimally for me, I cannot show up optimally for any of you, no matter who you are, right? So the research goes on to look, goodness gracious, I'm going to knock everything off. I hope you guys, I'm sure you can hear that. The research goes on to look at realization, like the more that we have realizations about ourselves and the more that we have a perception of well-being that in turn, it actually can lower our white blood cell count. It can impact our C-reactive protein counts, and it can help. It can also impact um, our interleukin six. All of these are scientific ways of saying that it's impacting our stress responses, right? So if we're decreasing those stress responses by becoming more aware of ourselves, then our immune system is allowed to function properly, and we're coming back into the saddle of living and walking in our integrity and our truth and our sovereignness. That's huge because isn't that how we shift the world? Like this is beautiful research that's pertinent to the mind, body, spirit connection, but that's also how we shift social well-being and how we shift humanity, right? So the research continues to go on and it says, you know, that by decreasing these inflammatory markers, this, the finding of the research is suggesting that flourishing in life actually has a positive impact on inflammation, meaning that the more we become perceptive of our own personal state of well-being, the more our physiological body responds by reducing inflammation, which means an increased immune system function, doubling up the fact that we feel better in our body because we're functioning the way we're supposed to. We're back into homeostasis. We're in a state of balance. And then the mental and the emotional and the spiritual and the physical start to come back into alignment. The research continued to look at the fact that in relationship to uh, depression, that a lot of times when we have this relationship with, um, when we have the relationship that comes out of not being aware of self, losing self our ability to self-actualize, or to have self-determination or self-awareness, that that can 
remove us from understanding ourselves, but that also can um, impact these inflammatory markers. And these inflammatory markers are related to depression and multiple mental illnesses. And so the concept there is that when we reduce inflammation and inflammatory markers and the stress responses, whether there are programs, social stress responses, mental stress responses, emotional stress responses, nutritional stress responses, or even physical stress responses, that we are able to support our bodies into becoming back into a state of alignment, right? And when we come into a state of alignment, then we're allowing our bodies to actually heal themselves, to return back to homeostasis. There's a teacher that I once had that always would say this around soil. And it was when I was studying for herbalism of like, just go out into the land and look at what herbs are growing. And so we would do this, right? We would look around and then there would be these, all these quote unquote weeds that are actually medicinals. And they went on to say that these medicinals grow because there's a nutrient deficiency in the soil. And so it's nature's way of giving back those nutrients to the soil. That way it can return the soil to a state of homeostasis and to balance. That way that soil can be prolific in its growth forward of food, of fruits, of vegetables, of trees, of plants, right? But the soil, the earth naturally requires pieces and support to return to a state of balance into a state of homeostasis. We are the same way. We have a really in-depth understanding of what happens when we become ill, what happens when we become inflamed. We do not have the same understanding of what happens when we become well, when we come back to our sense of a sovereignness. And, and so this research to me is really be- creating this beautiful story of, oh, when I focus on pleasure, when I take time and prioritize my self-awareness, my perception of self, my self-agency, my ability to take control of my life. And that may just be taking control of the fact that like, hey, you don't need that Big Mac today. You can have a salad. Or hey, you know what that person I would normally mouth off to and yell at them, but you know what? Right right now, all I'm going to do is just listen and take a deep breath. Or that work that I feel like I have to do this very second, it can actually wait 20 minutes while I go walk around the block. When we make those types of self determinant actions, we're doing the same thing as the weeds growing around the soil. We're giving back the nutrients to ourselves, to our spirits, to our minds, to our bodies that we need in order to come back into alignment, to come back into this place of integrity, of empathy, of compassion, where we can change our perception of well-being, and then we can shift all arenas of our lives. That's really powerful stuff. I hope this resonated. I hope it was of service. I will put up the research link in the show notes. If you resonated with it, if you had questions around it, if you want more information around this arena of research, please feel free to reach out to me. My information is in the show notes as well. I can't wait to talk with you guys again. And in the meantime, be well. Maybe try out that gratitude journal or your, form, your own form of meditation. I'd love to feel, hear how that feels for you. 
Talk to you soon.